Welcome to the Eyes on Retina podcast series by Boeinger Ingelheim. Vision loss caused by retinal disease can have a devastating impact on the lives of those affected, their families, and society as a whole. 2.2 billion people worldwide have vision impairment or blindness, of which at least 1 billion could have been prevented. Globally, the prevalent rates of retinal diseases are expected to increase over the next 10 years due to the aging populations and the global diabetes epidemic. In this series, we hear from a range of retinal experts involved in the care for people living with retinal disease as well as people living with these devastating conditions. Hello. My name is Professor Peter Kaiser. I am the Cheney Family Endowed Chair in Ophthalmology Research at the Cleveland Clinic's Cole Eye Institute. And today I'll be hosting this episode of Eyes on Retina, an introduction to diabetic macular ischemia. Diabetic macular ischemia is a complication of diabetic retinopathy caused by persistent high blood sugars damaging the blood vessels in the back of the eye leading to a reduced blood flow to the retina, which affects vision. Diabetic macular ischemia can affect both people with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. However, as the symptoms may overlap with those associated with other complications of diabetic retinopathy, diabetic macular ischemia often goes undiagnosed. But before we delve too deeply into diabetic macular ischemia, I would like to pause and introduce today's guests. I am joined today by a retina specialist, Professor Soba Sivaprasad, who has a wealth of experience working with people living with diabetic retinopathy and its complications, as well as Jacqueline Humphreys, an osteopath and lecturer at the University of Swansea, who is also living with this condition. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So in order for those listening to this podcast to get to know us a little better, I'd like to ask a lighthearted question about our other senses. As both scientific studies and anecdotal evidence have suggested that people who experience vision loss often develop a more enhanced sense of hearing. They therefore may actually enjoy music differently to those who are not visually impaired. So let's just ask first, Professor, I would like to know what music you have as a soundtrack to your life and why? Well, I have to say it's Bonnie M from my college days. It gives me memory of having a free life, no worries in life, and just enjoying music and going around everywhere I can. So I think I would still stick to my old songs. And Jacqueline, how about you? Well, I'm going to go a little bit off-piste. The sense that I have that has been most enhanced with vision loss has been my sense of touch, possibly because I'm an osteopath and I use my hands as part of my work. Certainly, I believe that my sense of palpation has improved immensely. Wonderful. So, Professor Sivaprasad, we discussed other aspects of diabetic retinopathy in other podcasts. Today, we're focusing on a specific complication of diabetic retinopathy, which is diabetic macular ischemia. And many of our listeners may not know what diabetic macular ischemia is and how it might develop from diabetic retinopathy. So could you enlighten our listeners, please? Yes. So diabetic macular ischemia is actually an unknown entity. So to describe it better, 
In some people with diabetes, the retinal blood vessels tend to become unhealthy. So these blood vessels tend to leak and then they close off. And when they close off, that area of the retina will lose their blood supply. And if that occurs in the macula, that is the center of the retina, where we preserve fine quality of vision, then it is termed diabetic macular ischemia and the patients may have trouble with their visual acuity. Are there any specific risk factors that make someone more likely to develop this condition? As far as risk factors are concerned, the more severe the retinopathy, the more likely is a patient to suffer from diabetic macular ischemia as well. Considering the systemic risk factors, it is the same as the risk factors for diabetic retinopathy as a whole, that is high blood sugar, high blood pressure, and perhaps high cholesterol levels in the blood as well. Now, oftentimes, this diagnosis is even missed by some of the best doctors out there since it's very difficult to diagnose. Could you go into some detail for our listeners how you diagnose macular ischemia? So when we consider the symptoms from the patients, most of the patients will be asymptomatic. That is, they do not suffer from any symptoms. However, if they do have symptoms, it's usually a central blur. And it's very similar to those who have diabetic macular edema. So these two conditions sort of coexist in most patients. When we come to diagnosis, if you clinically look at a patient on your slit lamp, we are unlikely to diagnose diabetic macular ischemia. We do need special tests to define that. And one way is the fluorescent angiography. But at present, we have got a non-invasive test called OCT angiography or OCTA that clearly shows us whether a patient has got drop-off of capillary vessels around the retina, especially at the macular area. So I believe OCTA is now the best diagnostic test. Now, OCTA is certainly a very new and very exciting modality in this disease, but there are many ophthalmologists throughout the world who who don't have, unfortunately, OCTA in their office. If you were one of those physicians, is it important for you to refer your patients to a doctor that has this device to diagnose macular ischemia? At present, if you have a fluorescent angiography, it would be a smart move to do that first. But of course, if you prefer a non-invasive measure, then I would refer the patient on to a retinal specialist who has the device. At present, even though the diagnostic test is novel, that is the best guide for us to see whether a patient has diabetic macular ischemia or not. Now, Jacqueline, you have been diagnosed with diabetic retinopathy Take us back to when you first received this diagnosis and from what type of physician was this diagnosis made? So in 2007, I became aware of difficulties reading subtitles late at night. This led me to a trip to the optician. They identified some hemorrhages in the back of my eye. I was referred to my GP, uh, sent for blood tests. They found out that I was diabetic, type 2. 
I was subsequently referred to the ophthalmology department at a local hospital and there I was told that I had diabetic retinopathy. Going on from that, being fairly proactive um, in terms of my own care, I decided that I was going to do something about my high levels of blood sugar. In addition to receiving medication from the GP, I decided that I was going to change my diet. And as a result of that, I got my blood sugar down very quickly. Unfortunately, I did not have the information to hand at the time that the diabetes was causing diminished hydration of my tissues. And by getting my blood sugar under control quickly, I rehydrated my tissues quite quickly, which included my macula. And I think that that was a significant step towards the macular edema. All the different aspects of diabetic retinopathy all go hand in hand. Our blood sugar, blood pressure control is vital. Professor Simaprasad, if you have a patient who was just diagnosed with diabetes, say a type 2 diabetic, how do you counsel them about their future prognosis in terms of macular ischemia? And what are some of the things they should do to hopefully prevent it? Yes, so we know that optimal control of their blood sugar and blood pressure are likely to delay their onset of diabetic retinopathy. So as a person with new diabetes diagnosis, I would advise them that all we know about preventing diabetic retinopathy at present is to keep your blood sugar level and blood pressure level under control. Of course, I will also explain that despite the control of these systemic risk factors, the eye may still progress to retinopathy. So they need an annual check of their eye, A, to see whether the retinopathy is developing, and B, if it is developing, whether it is going into a severe form associated with diabetic macular ischemia and diabetic macular edema. So I would tell them that they do need regular eye examination as well as control their risk factors. So Jacqueline, you told us that you noticed a change in vision and that was one of the first things that brought you to an ophthalmologist. I'm interested in your primary doctor prior to that point, were they telling you what professors telling us that, you know, you really should be seen at least once a year even if you're seeing perfectly? My visual changes were the first thing that happened. I had no other indicators that I was diabetic. Oh, that makes sense. That happens, unfortunately, quite frequently that the ophthalmologist is actually the first person to note that you actually have diabetes. So your story is actually not unique. It's one of the things that we can diagnose showing the importance of that annual eye exam. So Jacqueline, how did you find out that your diabetic retinopathy had developed into diabetic macular ischemia? So it was not a great surprise to me. My background as an osteopath has made me familiar with the concept of edema and edema in compartments. The buildup of pressure in a compartment can result in diminished blood supply, leading to ischemic changes. So I knew this as part of my profession. I just wasn't told the word ischemia, but otherwise I was completely informed about what was happening with my blood vessels. So Professor Siva Prasad, when you talk to your patients when you first diagnosed diabetic retinopathy, how often do you see your patients thereafter? Is it an annual thing until you notice a change and then you become more frequent? Sort of what is your thinking? 
So when we examine the patient for the first time and he or she does not have diabetic retinopathy, we refer them back to the screening unit in the UK where our screening department is very well organized. And we advise that the patient has to attend the screening appointment every year. But if the patient has already got diabetic retinopathy, he can still continue at the screening program if it is mild or moderate. But when it becomes severe diabetic retinopathy, then we will advise that the patient remains with us in the secondary care in the ophthalmology department to have regular follow-up approximately four to six monthly. And by the time they develop proliferative diabetic retinopathy, that is new vessels developing in the eye, which is a sign of ischemia, then we will have to see them far more often until we stabilize the retina. In between, they may also develop diabetic macular edema at any stage of their retinopathy. So I would also do an OCT on them regularly to ensure they do not develop diabetic macular edema. So now that we have a patient with diabetic macular ischemia, what are some of the treatments that may be available to treat these patients? So if we go straight on to diabetic macular ischemia, at present we do not have a treatment for it, except advising our patients to keep control of their diabetes and high blood pressure. Most of the time, diabetic macular ischemia also associated with diabetic macular edema. And we tend to focus on treating the diabetic macular edema because we have a treatment for it. And if these patients also have proliferative changes, then we treat the peripheral retina with either laser, mostly, or anti-VEGF treatment. So what we are trying to do is to treat the associated conditions rather than treat the diabetic macular ischemia as we do not have a treatment for it directly at present. So I think it's important for our listeners to really hear what you just said, which is although we don't have treatments for the eye problem, the good control of blood sugar, blood pressure, etc., will help their macular ischemia. And this is something that I recommend to my patients that they really concentrate it. As Jacqueline said, when she first heard she had this diagnosis, this really was a tipping point for her to really manage her diabetic changes better. Jacqueline, now that you have this diagnosis, how often do you see your eye specialists? Up until the COVID crisis, I was seeing them every four to six months. Since then, I have only had one appointment, and that was nearly 12 months ago, not as often as I would have liked. Yeah, I think the COVID pandemic has really dramatically altered our patient care. Unfortunately, many patients have missed their visits, not oftentimes due to their own fault, their eye doctor office may have been actually closed due to the pandemic regulations. And one of the unfortunate things we've seen with this COVID pandemic is that patients actually have lost quite a bit of vision when they come back to see us. And they are coming back now that we're all starting to get vaccinated. So we're starting to see this. Uh, Professor Siva Prasad, have you seen patients you've had under pretty good control prior to the pandemic and have now returned for their visit, oftentimes late, who now things are under considerably worse conditions. 
That's exactly right. At present, we are seeing a lot of patients who were due to be seen probably March of last year or even later who have now got worsening of their retinopathy, new onset macular edema, increasing macular ischemia, and even as bad as neovascular glaucoma in a few patients. So yes, we are seeing quite a few patients with delayed appointment and consequent worsening of their retinopathy. Yeah, it's it's a very unfortunate side effect of COVID, especially with diabetes, because many of our diabetic patients oftentimes don't have any visual changes until very far into their disease. They can even have proliferative diabetic retinopathy, which is one of the worst forms, and have excellent vision. So they're like, well, I don't need to see someone during this COVID pandemic. Jacqueline, I was wondering, how has your diabetic retinopathy been managed so far? Have you received any treatments? Yes, I have. I've had laser treatments initially to seal off blood vessels, the new vascular growth that was happening. Subsequently, um, I was eligible for a trial for intravitreal injections, which after approximately five years treatment, I haven't needed any since. So that was from around 2010 to 2015. So for the last six years, I haven't actually required any further treatment. And when you tell your friends and family about what is causing your decrease in vision, how do you describe it to them? I liken it to a corrupted film in a camera so that the images that are being transmitted from the outside are perfectly normal, but the way that my retina picks them up distorts them. That's a wonderful way to describe things, actually. I, I really like that. And I ask them to imagine perhaps a plastic bag with a layer of water in between it and try and look through that plastic bag because that's the kind of distortion that I get quite a lot. So myself and Professor Silverside, we have many patients with macular ischemia. Professor, I'm wondering, how do you empower your patients who've been diagnosed with disease? Obviously, we treat them as well as we can, but how do you empower them to continue to live safely and, most importantly, independently? Yeah, it is a challenging situation because we do not have a direct treatment for the diabetic macular ischemia. But if they suffer from visual loss as a result of it, it may affect their work, their family, bringing up their kids, etc. So it's a personalized regimen that I follow. If they are workers and they have to read a lot, etc., I advise them to use magnifiers, a bright source of light source for them also go to the social services we have charitable organizations that support a lot of low visual aid clinics as well as provide them with social service support of some form to help them through their life actually so we are very lucky in the uk in that respect we do counsel them but we have eye liaison officers in the clinics as well to go through things with them in great detail and i use the macular society the royal national institute of the blind diabetes uk these are all charitable organizations in the uk who provide a lot of material and support to people with visual disturbances so Jacqueline, you're also a lecturer. How has this disease, in terms of computer aids, things that Professor just mentioned, to also not only work, but also be independent? 
in the early stages of my uh, side loss, I was very fortunate to access social services, as Sherbos indicated. And I found out about the access to work scheme provided by the government to help provide equipment, assistive technology, which I took full advantage of at the time. One of the things that I noticed most working at a computer screen for any length of time causes my eyes to become very, very tired. So using technology that will actually read to me has been extremely helpful. At work, I would say that I can be disadvantaged at meetings when we're given documents to read and comment on because it takes me about four or five times longer to read than my colleagues. They also tend to forget that I have a visual impairment, consequently don't provide me with large print copies with a bold font that might be a bit easier for me to read. It's an interesting set of adaptations that have to take place and adjusting your expectations of what other people are aware of and can adjust for and do adjust for. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. There are many ways to use what vision you have to be very effective at both your job and in life. And, you know, really availing yourself of all those different modalities is very important. So, Professor Sarah Prasad, we are working diligently on ways to treat diabetic macular ischemia. And for our listeners, could you give us a little update on the latest research in this disease? Yes. So currently, our focus is mainly on proliferative diabetic retinopathy and diabetic macular edema. But I'm really excited about the upcoming phase one trials that are actually ongoing already that is directly targeted at diabetic macular ischemia. If that works, then it will be a great comfort to both the clinicians as well as the patients as we can treat the patients early. There are intravitreal injections and so we are already well placed to deliver them. So I'm just hoping for a positive results from these trials. Yes, this is very exciting because as we mentioned at the outset, when we see patients with macular ischemia due to diabetes, all we can ask them to do is work harder on their blood pressure and sugar control. But we're starting to see new medications that may offer some hope for the future for all our patients. And I just ask you to close, Jacqueline, what are your hopes as a patient with diabetic macular ischemia about the future? I'm aware that work is being done in relation to stem cells, intraocular devices, and even nanobots. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I do hope that self-repair of human tissue is prioritized and enabled. Well, the future is definitely looking bright for patients with this disease. I really want to thank both of you for this very fascinating podcast. And I really hope our listeners found this as interesting as I have. Before we finish, I'd like to give each of you a chance for last words. So Professor Siva Prasad, what would be your closing thoughts on diabetic macular ischemia? I would say with the prevalence of diabetic retinopathy increasing, so too will be the diabetic macular ischemia. So the two things I would really like to see happen is firstly, the patients with this 
condition, that is with diabetes, should have their eyes tested regularly so that we can catch these conditions early and treat them. Secondly, I'm hoping that our drug trials will work and that will help us improve the treatment options for our patients. And Jacqueline, I leave it to you to close the podcast with your closing thoughts. I would really like to thank you, Peter and Shoba, for the opportunity to speak with you both this evening. I found it really interesting. I hope that this podcast helps to spread awareness of the condition. I look forward to future developments. Thank you. You've been listening to the Eyes on Retina podcast series by Boehringer Ingelheim. This episode discussed diabetic macular ischemia. I, Professor Kaiser, was joined by Professor Siva Prasad and Jacqueline Humphreys. Don't forget to click subscribe or follow to ensure you don't miss our next episode.